for some, it's, it's pretty tough times. We're going to go into a four-quarter, maybe a five-quarter recession. The thing is about being poised for when the, the market turns around, there will be a lot of opportunities. You know, this being a, a really good market for private equity. Much more scrutiny from the risk teams looking at deals. So you just get a huge range of really, really interesting clients to work with. Hello, welcome or welcome back to the On The Spot podcast. My name is Craig Evans, I'm the CEO of Company Watch, and today I'm joined by Kenny McKay from Interpath Advisory. Kenny heads up the North team at Interpath Advisory and has 25 years of experience in leading complex transformation and restructuring products across the UK. Based in Leeds, Kenny also leads across the UK on the industrial manufacturing sector and has extensive experience supporting businesses in areas as diverse as retail, media, and infrastructure. Welcome, Kenny. Good morning and afternoon even now. Thanks. Uh, I just thought we'd have a little bit of fun to start off with, just as a little bit of a light-hearted introduction. Um, so I've got two questions to ask you just to get things going. And then just a bit of fun in getting to know the individual. So first question, Kenny, is when you were in school, what job did you want to do and why? Right, I wanted to run a music shop that would have the best selection of sheet music and instruments anywhere but unfortunately the internet killed that idea <laughs> so your love for music obviously. yeah like that so that would be nice so in terms of playing do you play a little bit yeah a little bit what yeah. is that what instrument piano piano oh cool and composing, Any composing? Uh, no no but we we are have been known myself and a, a, a friend of mine we have been known to hit the pubs and do a few uh, sessions bit of jamming yeah and we've got one on thursday night oh really oh, okay cool back home in leeds or uh, yeah Oh, superb, superb. And, and the second question, if you're going to name an individual that has had the most impact on you, who would that be and why? So I remember I worked with a guy in Australia who who struck me as quite interesting. He was an ex-Anderson's tax partner who then got involved in tax for infrastructure deals, moved to Australia, got involved in Macquarie Bank, became and established the infrastructure fund at Macquarie, went for the top job at Macquarie, didn't get it, and then I came work with him when he was a political fixer when we were doing one of the jobs on uh, restructuring of an airport rail link. And his advice is, don't be too hung up about what you've trained to be or what you are. If the opportunities appear, follow them. So he ended up from a tax partner to be a political fixer. I thought it was quite an interesting little wow. bit of advice. And talking of backgrounds, um, it'd probably be good to get, get a bit of an introduction to you in terms of who you are, the role you play at Interpath, and how long have you been at Interpath, and, and obviously a, a little bit of insight into what Interpath do for everyone. Perfect. Right, well, let me start with Interpath then. Interpath sure. is about two years old now, so it is formerly the KPMG restructuring team that was sold two years ago out of KPMG to the newly formed advisory business, Interpath Advisory. So what we have there, it's about 600 strong. We've got our traditional restructuring and insolvency team. Okay. We've also got a value creation team in which I sit, which is all about performance improvement of businesses. We've also got a debt advisory team, a growing deals business, forensic, contentious litigation, uh, valuations, taxation. I might have missed a few services in there. That's all in the UK. We've just assembled the largest restructuring team in Ireland. 
by taking a number of partners from KPMG and Deloitte and put together. So that's there. We've established a Caribbean team. And through our owners, we also have a sister consultancy called Riveron in the States. And so the business is growing rapidly, both in terms of geographical footprint and service lines. And what we've done in the UK, we've replicated the, the KPMG office footprint that we had before. So we're, you know, for, for me in the north, Manchester, Leeds, Newcastle, that's replicated all around. So in terms of myself, so I started with KPMG nearly 30 years ago, uh, moved into what was then corporate recovery after... 12 months on a secondment, stayed there, liked it, been based in Leeds for a long time, came down a number of stints in London, three years in Australia, back into London, and then I've been leading the team in the North for about the last five, six years, something like that. Okay, so long-standing career in recovery and in that area, for sure. And uh, in in terms of what have you enjoyed the most about that? Clearly, you've stayed around that particular industry. Yeah, so, I mean, it's nearly 30 years now. So what what you're able to enjoy is the variety of work. So whilst I head up the industrials team, that's by no means all that I do. You end up doing all sorts of projects. So, you know, I remember as as a brand new partner, I got involved in the JJB restructuring and went on for many, many years. That's a really interesting piece of work. Also supported the dismantling of Southern Cross and kept that stable and viable as that business was dismantled and you had to do that for the patients under care. And the last one of the last things I did at KPMG time was to, to lead the KPMG team that was supporting the Harrogate Nightingale Hospital. It was yeah. a really intensive six weeks at the start of the pandemic. It was really enjoyable. I've done uh, lots of transformation work at the likes of Sellafield, nuclear work. I've done similar work with the RAF at Bryce Norton. So you just get a huge range of really, really interesting clients to work with. One of my major clients is the Ineos Group. That, again, fast-moving, rapid decision-making, really interesting business to work with. So so long as that continues, then it, it keeps you very interested in it. And in terms, of, uh, in, in terms of putting you on the spot a little bit now, is Mr. Ratcliffe going to buy into Manchester United at some stage, you think? I think he'd like to. I think he'd like to, too. I'd certainly like to, I must admit, as a, as a, as a big Man United fan. Yeah, but, um, but whether, they, whether they can afford to. Well, I, th- I think that's a big thing. There's a lot of money kicking around yeah. these days. Whether there's enough money, like you say, for Mr. Ratcliffe to support that or not. Yeah. Uh, maybe with him a little bit Saudi money, who knows? Who knows? Good. Um, and in terms of sort of uh, yourself and, and really getting into sort of the type of industries that you're seeing, operational and, and financial challenges, you know, uh-huh. we're obviously 2023, a lot of people are saying, you know, we, we're going to go into a four quarter, maybe a five quarter recession. Uh-huh. Um, but then when I speak to others, I was talking to somebody on the train on this morning on the way in and they were saying, oh, no, no, you know, you listen to it now, we, it maybe will last to Easter time or beyond and then you know, a bit of recovery and shoots will start to appear. I just wondered from your experience, what are you seeing at Interpath? I think the, po- the position is really mixed. Some sectors are doing okay, some sectors are not doing okay. And within a sector, you'll find participants in the sector are doing fine. Some are doing rather well and some are struggling. So if, if we take, you know, we'll, t- we'll talk about industrials, but retail is always a good one because we're all consumers. And if you look at that, the results that came out from listed businesses were pretty strong from the supermarkets. But then you find Morrison's less so. And then if you look across some of the entities, they, some businesses have seen market trading down. Quite a number of clients that I work with when they, they scrape their sort of internet traffic, they can see a real marked trading down. Volume's probably holding up-ish, but people trading down for lower cost options. And you see that going into the supply chain. So I think where the pressure is really building is in the supply chain uh, as it nears the consumer. So B2B businesses 
are probably okay because they are a wee bit got a bit of buffer before the end consumer. But yeah. those that are going straight into the to the retailers you're facing off, that's where there's a lot of pressure. And so business are trying to pass on inflation of price pressures, which in the main some of them are being successful. But all that's doing is if that's passed straight onto consumer, it's dampening demand. Or the the so let's say if it goes through a retailer, the retailer saying, okay, but I'm going to change my ranging. And therefore, actually, I might focus on ranges that I can make higher margin that consumer still wants to take. And if you're a supplier that doesn't meet that criteria, you see your volumes coming off quite significantly. So it's a really mixed picture. We're talking before, you can see quite a lot of stress and strain in the chemicals industry. Lots of input price costs coming through. Product end prices are not are not responding. So you can see that there's quite a bit of distress if you look around the sector in that in that area. But these are cyclical businesses. And I think for some, it's, it's pretty tough times. And you mentioned sort of in the chemical sector, the supply chain in particular. And clearly, yes, the inflation issues around prices of the, of the raw product and the raw material. But, but also, are you seeing anything around the demand for that product and, and access to that product at all in that particular sector? We're not coming across with those access issues. But what we are seeing a lot of is businesses are trying to simplify. Okay, mm-hmm. So how can we continue to serve a, a perhaps a slightly subdued market with those cost pressures and therefore do it and still maintain margins? And I think if you look at quite a number of chemical businesses, particularly listed ones in the stated strategy, it's all about simplification. We don't need to we don't need to sell 100 products when we can actually make the same margin on 50. And that takes a vast amount of cost to serve complexity out of the equation. So there's a lot of housekeeping and tidying up to do. As businesses grow, as you add on new SKUs or new products, you don't retire the same number. So the thing gets bigger and more complicated. So you're seeing a lot of businesses try to simplify manage costs down and just basically ride out the cycle. And you think in terms of those those businesses, that's a strategy you would advocate in terms of the current client? They've done it many times before. So I take clients at Ineos, you know, they've got a stated strategy for they want to maintain a cost base that is manageable at the bottom of the cycle. Okay, so they need to know that when they hit the bottom of the cycle, they've got a cost base that is appropriate for that position. Many others follow similar philosophy. So absolutely, they'll go through those those peaks and troughs and it's just making sure you've got flexibility in your cost base so as, as, as demand gets dampened you can ride that out and, and you know, and be ready and, and actually the thing is about being poised for when the, the market turns around there will be a lot of opportunities yeah. and it's been able to move quickly and exploit them. One of the questions that we're getting asked quite regularly is about access to capital mm-hmm. and whether you know whether there's enough access to capital out in the markets or, or whether the lenders are being you know, very careful and cautious about, you know, what capital provision they're providing. Um, are you seeing that with different sizes of business, particularly I'm talking about SME, finding it particularly hard to access capital currently? Probably two points to that answer. What we've seen quite markedly is the private equity owners spending a lot more time on their portfolio as opposed to new deal origination. That's really marked. Okay, so that that's an interesting one. So there's not perhaps the... Maybe they're not the deals there, but certainly perhaps might also not be the appetite at this stage to go out there looking for new acquisitions. So they're really working on making sure the portfolio is in the best shape it can be. Mm -hmm. In terms of the banks, I have noticed over the summer of last year that um, getting refinancings away is taking longer. There's more conditions, much more scrutiny from the risk teams looking at deals. So again, 
one of the things that we are saying to all our clients is you need to be prepared. So debt maturities in 2024, even 2025, you need to start thinking now about accessing the market, getting prepared for the market. And if you can go early, go early, you know, so it's, it's taking longer. And I have seen situations whereby perhaps the lender's got a bit of a story to it, if you like. The risk team has been, and credit team, been much more challenging than, than previously. So I think that's going to be a feature of 2023. In terms of private equity, in, in terms of the role that you guys play, uh, somebody was commenting the other day about, you know, this being a, a really good market for private equity in terms of, you know, buying businesses at mm-hmm. a, a particular low cost. Yep. Um, again, is that an area that you're seeing in terms of something you would get involved with? We'll absolutely get involved in that, yeah. to, clearly. So, 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 I mean, one of the things that we, we do, we've got a deals business that does you know, normal deals, if you like. The restructuring team will also do deals and they're called accelerated M&A processes. So yeah. you're doing it, again, a background of tightening liquidity. So instead of taking maybe, I don't know, six months to sell a business, you're doing it in a matter of weeks. Okay, so so that, so that we're, we're always involved in that side of things. You know, looking at our former colleagues, at KPMG, their deals, M&A business is about half the size in right. this year than it was the previous year. So their market has cooled markedly. And I think the theory is there will be lots of opportunities, but I think at this stage, probably not seeing that the volume of activity. I think people are, as I say, they're tidying up portfolios, making sure yeah. they don't have problems. But almost certainly there'll be a lot of opportunities for the right investor who's able to move fast, needs to be do some pretty careful diligence on what they're, they're buying into. And also if it's a turnaround, think long and hard about the, their capability to achieve a turnaround, the length of time it's going to take, how much you know, time, trouble and treasure it's going to take them to do it um, and be pretty pragmatic about those assessments. Thinking about insolvencies, the stats, mm-hmm. we know the stats clearly in yep. terms of where they've, they've been going lately. This whole thing about uh, owners throwing the towel in, they've had COVID to deal with, they've had supply chain issues prior to COVID, post-COVID, now Ukraine war, inflation, everything else. In terms of what you're seeing, is is that true? Do you just think people are giving up and saying, I've tried for a long period of time, I'm now getting to that time in my life where I really, I can't be bothered anymore. It's really hitting me from every angle right yeah, now. I'm not seeing people saying I'm giving up. The insolvency stats, I think we're looking at them today, they've come out. thing in insolvency stats is there's some very small businesses I think can skew the numbers. So building construction always throws up a lot of insolvencies. Yeah, yeah. And they may be people just retiring, saying, look, I'm, I've been a, I've got a small roofing business or construction. And say, it's more just a personal enterprise. For established corporates, I don't see them giving up as such. I think you know, times are un- undoubtedly tough and it has been tough. But you know, I think that you know, it's just another set of challenges that people are, are, are facing. But they're, to my mind, not thrown in the towel. Good, good. No, that's good to hear because... You know, there's a lot of businesses out there. I'm close to a number of small businesses um, where I live, and you know, they're certainly not throwing in the towel. Yeah. So, so where we work in the market, so you know, you you hear a lot about um, individual shops or 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 pubs, and absolutely, because these are more an individual affair. But the the businesses that we at Interpath are dealing with are established, sizable businesses. So, you know, even though there'll be many of those will be owner-managed businesses that have a certain size and you know they're providing a lot of jobs for you know that sort of commitment to the, the local community yeah. keeps them keeps them you know at it and keeps them fighting on absolutely i, I think there's a lot of fighting spirit there yeah. for sure in terms of your clients like you said the slightly bigger clients what 
what are the typical challenges that, that you're seeing them facing? So the big one that everybody's grappling with is inflationary price pressure. So, you know, the sort of rule of thumb on labour cost, 5 to 10%. You know, that sort of pressure's coming through. Everyone's sort of having to settle up that sort of stuff because of it. it's been demanded. Also, the tight labour market is is definitely an issue as well. So if you're not, you know, you're not the owner of that, you're not going to be able to access. So that's that's clearly an issue. There has been some issues around access to, to product. You know, you, can, you see that from automotive and all that sort of stuff. You can hear that continuing through. Seems like pressure has eased a little bit on container prices coming down. But I'm still picking up quite a lot of difficulty at getting product, particularly from China, etc. Still problematic. What else have we got? I think access to capital is a, is is now appearing on people's radars, and actually we need to be much more focused on that. I think that's important. Yeah. And then you see a lot of businesses just getting back to basic cost management, making sure, as I said, simplification, making sure they're doing the basics right, things like having a good control of cash and cash resources, because you know you just don't quite know what um, what's gonna happen. The Ukraine issue threw out a whole load of issues that people perhaps did not foresee. So again, having the ability and the tools, management tools around you to, to navigate successfully. And the, the other thing as well, probably for most businesses that I hear a lot is about volatility. So it's very difficult to plan and forecast. So let's say you're in the automotive or aerospace supply chain. So with consumer demand being perhaps dampened for, for travel, mm-hmm. we're not seeing it yet, but it might happen. Or certainly a lot of the automotive challenges. So therefore that is rippling down into the business. It is very hard for the supply chain to say, well, what, what's my demand signal going to be? What is it? And, and these are almost unknowable questions. What the supply chain companies can do is make sure that they are forecasting, they're using the modeling scenarios, modeling a scenario and then saying, okay, well, what's the financial impact? What does that mean for my borrowings? What does it mean for my covenant compliance? What does it mean for my cash flow? And say, oh, I've got an issue perhaps in nine months time. That's good. And you've got nine months to fix it. So it's, it's about making sure that even though you're working in a volatile situation, you need to make sure you've got the tools to allow you to do that. So sales and order planning is probably one of the biggest areas that we're seeing a lot of focus and we're doing lots of work in that sort of area. The one interesting point that I saw missing in terms of that was energy. How do you see with, with yeah. industrials, how do you see that? It's, it is a big issue. And, you know, ceramics, glass, steel, you name it, they're all getting energy intensive and you can see that. And we've, we had this many years ago when oil prices hit $50 a barrel. I mean, I'm talking about 15, 16 years ago. And and it could even hit 100. Wow, you know, we have achieved that. And and you can look at businesses that have relatively thin profit margins, actually used your tools to do that. Look at, you know, where's where's the the heavy energy users? And and you can do that. But the thing that struck me is, is there is a degree of resilience in there. So if you're in a a B2B environment, you're industrial products selling in, a lot of the businesses are able to pass that on. And because it's B2B, they're slightly further removed from the end consumer of that product, and therefore they are able to move things on. So I was with a, a textile business last week, and you know, whilst it's obviously an issue for them and bills have gone up, they're able to pass that on largely. So there's a little bit of support coming through, but by and large, it's not been the the single, it's not been a single issue that said that's going to cause many businesses to fail. It's certainly not helping, clearly. It's not helping. Sure, sure. But, you know, labour inflation is equally as significant for, yeah. for many businesses, probably more so. Yeah. I guess it's that uncertainty around energy. If you're playing with very tight margins, 
because you really can't forecast because you don't know what support is going to be out there. That, yeah. that clearly seems to be the concern at the moment is yeah. in order to forecast, in order to you know be a bit more certain about the foregoing situation. Yeah. And, and the other thing to think about as well, I mean, whilst there's a lot of talk about easing of inflationary pressure, that's only because we're measuring it against last year's numbers, which were yeah. high. But that means actually your whole cost base has just stepped up. Right, so the margins, if you were enjoying a 20% operating margin or whatever, that's now 15. What does that actually mean for your business? And that's what a lot of business have got to face into and say, okay, what does that actually mean? Can I pass it on? If not, if I have to absorb it, and they will have to absorb some of it. What does that mean for shaping the business? I think we're going to see a lot of what are probably called proper restructuring, looking at operating model, looking at corporate structures. We are seeing quite a bit of work on on simplification of group structures to say, you know, do we need this? We're also seeing quite a bit of work from foreign-owned businesses looking at their UK subsidies and saying, you know, do we really need that? For the very large businesses, they are making decisions about low-cost manufacture. So they're just turning down plants and turning yeah. off plants yeah. and turning off shifts and, and moving it to other parts of the world where they can and say it's, it's, it's better to produce over there, and if it costs us slightly more in distribution, so be it. You're seeing businesses really trying to be to deal with that, and if you don't deal with that, then you're just going to be, you've got to consider, even though inflationary price pressures might come off headline percentages, there's been a step change in your cost, yeah. and that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, it's about using those levers, isn't yeah. it? Most businesses have got an abundance of levers that they, they can choose. It's about choosing the right ones, I yep. guess. And in terms, of, in terms of your industry, in terms of restructuring in particular and, and advising what's the future of that and what are the challenges in your industry right now if if we start with the the core of the interpath is is the traditional restructuring and insolvency market that's still below pre-pandemic levels as a market so really? yeah so it's an unusual dip and, and that's basically because many businesses that perhaps would have struggled through the pandemic or any challenge were supported Right. So many stakeholders who who traditionally be the trigger for distress, banks, HMRC, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. were really supportive. And therefore, many businesses survived that period. But I suspect there's, there is a number of businesses who are not in great shape and I suspect will be flushed out over the course of this year and next year. So I think we will see a return to higher levels. And you can see that in the volumes are coming through sure. throughout our business, large yeah. and small. You can see it. You can see it in the stats coming. Yeah. So I suspect we will see an uptick in traditional restructuring volumes. Other things, so for what we call our value creation or operational restructuring, lots and lots of work. Usual suspects, pricing, optimizing your margin by can I sell these SKUs, or this basket of SKUs in a slightly different way such that I can make more profit, managing costs, real big focus on that, working capital, right? Lots of that stuff. So that's what we're really busy on, on that sort of stuff. And then the other thing that's going to be interesting is to say there's, a lot, there's going to be more corporate restructuring, like carving out underperforming businesses, looking at selling off non-core, all that sort of stuff. And what's going to be interesting will be some of that will be done in a stressed environment, but I'd be very interested for those businesses that have pension schemes, yeah. the approach of the regulator, because the pensions regulator has been very strong and relatively benign circumstances to, to make sure the pension schemes are protected and looked after any restructuring. But when I think we move into a period whereby there'll be much more stressed restructuring, it's going to be very interesting to see how they they operate as a, as a key stakeholder in that. 
Great. Well, that, that's been brilliant to get a bit of an insight into Kenny McKay and into, into Path Advisory for sure. We've got our next podcast coming up. That's going to feature Kirsten Tompkins from EY Parthenon. Uh, she's coming up in a week or so's time discussing their profit warning report. Mm-hmm. One last question to you is that, do you have a particular question that you'd like Kirsten to, to answer so that we can put that to her in the next podcast? I think like anything, and you're in this business as well, the holy grail is forward insight into where we think challenges or opportunities might arise. So I'd be really interested to see not just the industry sectors, there's little subsets. Where are we actually seeing pressure points coming or where people are actually doing really well? I'd like to have a bit more insight. So if it's industrials, I'd like to understand what's happening in steel, ceramics, rubber and all that sort of stuff and just get under the bonnet of that. That'd be very interesting. Good. Well, I'll make sure that we put that question to Kirsten on the next podcast. Kenny McKay, thank you very much for joining me on the spot. Uh, It's been a pleasure meeting with you. Thanks very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much.